Wow. Yeah, I know. I'll get baptized, Phil. I'm going to stay right up here in front. I've already been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. Wow. What a morning. <laughs> um, this is just part of a, an amazing morning that happened in the first hour, and God showing up in a huge way um, through something that started as scary and then showed itself in courage and then new life and healing. And wow. You can find out from someone else in the first hour how that went. Um, what an amazing thing, right? You know, we get this opportunity to witness something amazing, this, this statement of new life, this moment in time. And, and we're in this finish of our Easter series. This is the last Sunday of our intersection series. And a logical step for us in this is that we've seen how Jesus has interacted with us, how he's intersected our lives from that Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter to last week. And, and what does that motivate us to do to this week to our response? So that's what our intersection is today. It's our response. It's, it's that intersection where we respond to what God has done in our life. And, and there's a lot in Scripture. There's a lot in Scripture that we see throughout where the Bible says, don't do this. Okay? There's things like, don't worship other gods. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cover your neighbor's goat. Okay? These, these things that we've seen. Um, and, and they're actually, for the Jews, there were 613 of these laws. Now, they weren't all just don'ts. They weren't all just things we shouldn't do. They were also things that we should do. Things like love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Kiddos, honor your mother and father. <laughs> They're all going, oh, I didn't think I was going to Sunday school today. Some of these rules, some of these requests were meant to strengthen our relationship in the up. They were meant to strengthen our relationship with our Lord. And some of them were meant to strengthen our relationship with each other in the community. I'm not going to lie. I'm stoked that I don't have to follow 613 rules. <laughs> it's one of those moments. You remember back when we were in our, our Acts series, we kind of differentiated between these two groups of those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles. This is the moment where I'm glad that I am a Gentile because I really love bacon. So... <clears throat> don't get me wrong though don't get me wrong 613 rules those were meant for us to understand that we couldn't reach God by our actions and don't get me wrong many of them are really really good and should still be followed today you know we shouldn't be stealing and murdering we should be following a, a Lord that tells us to love each other and treat each other like Jesus did and the list goes on and on. But here's the greatest thing that Jesus did, or really didn't do, is he didn't give us a lot of hoops that we had to jump through to be close to him, to be impacted by him. He wasn't a rule giver. He came to say basically this, abide in me, abide in me, and I'll do all the heavy lifting. Follow in my ways, and I'll take care of the work. I know that may sound like an oversimplification, but even in that little bit, 
It's full of, it's rich with experiences of fruit and effort. There is effort. But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, you know, they have the old law, that 613 things, the Torianic rule. Jesus comes and gives us this new covenant, the things you're seeing in the water. And I think it could be brought to this. It could say this. Our new kind of rule is loving and connecting with him and others, knowing his word, remembering him, being witnesses of him to others, and not acting a fool. Now, don't send me emails. Some of you are going, no, Sean, it's much more than that. I bet whatever's floating in your head right now could be summed up somewhere in that statement. Anything that you say, that's, that's, that, I have more in my journey of faith, my, my works and sanctification. Sure, but I bet they fit in that. That's about the only hoop that Jesus calls us through. But then Jesus does this thing. He does this thing, he says, listen, I'm going to give you ways, I'm going to ordain things to my church, to my people, to do this. We actually call them ordinances. What you've seen so far, baptism is one of them, and you're going to get to see more. You guys lucked out. All these kids who did this class together, go figure, they wanted to get baptized together too. First hour got to see all the videos in one baptism. You get to see, what, 13? Which is amazing. Buckle up, it's going to be a while. But the reality is that we get these things that Jesus says, hey, here is how you can show who I am. Here's how you can remember me. Here's how you can follow my word. And like I said, the first one here is in baptism. Now, baptism wasn't new on the scene. When Jesus got here. Baptism had been a practice among early Jews and some other faiths. It was, it was meant in one way for the Jews in practice for this idea of repentance of sin. And we know it happened before Jesus because of this scripture. It's in Mark chapter 1 starting in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet... Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This person, we're going to find out in the next word, is Jesus' cousin, the, John the Baptist. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. That was there. It was this type of baptism and forgiveness of sins, and all the country, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locust and wild honey. Mmm. It's because he couldn't eat bacon. And he preached saying, after me comes, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you in water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, he's using this practice to show people how sinful they are and this symbol of water to wash away the dirt of their brokenness. To try to strengthen their relationship with the Lord. Now, shortly after this scripture, Jesus shows up 
and his cousin baptizes him. And I bet many of us, as we've read through scripture, if you've read this, have gone, why does, why does Jesus need to be baptized? Of all the people, why does Jesus need to be baptized? And, and I, I'm betting it's, it's not an uncommon question now. I'm, I don't think you're doubting your faith when you go, Wah. it wasn't an uncommon question back then. Look at Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answers him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So we ask that question, why? Why should we be baptized? Why did Jesus get baptized? And, and he answers it for us, him and us, to fulfill all righteousness. As a side note, if you really want to find a place in Scripture where you can see the Trinity, this is one of those places where you can see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in the same place. It's an amazing moment. They show up for this. They're showing up for this. But Jesus does this thing because you'll hear me say it. I will continue to say it. Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever lived. So a better question is, what do we gain from Jesus being baptized. Well, here it is. This is part of our journey to complete all righteousness. It's part of what we're called to do. And Jesus modeled it. Teaching is a lot of modeling. He didn't need it, but he showed us our response to faith and obedience. Remember, Jesus is being faithful and obedient to his call of giving up his throne to be here among his children to be God with skin on. It's foreshadowing also of what our response will look like after he provides a way to fully surrender to him as we step into salvation. Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is after he has been crucified and resurrected. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, here's the ordinance, here's the ordination, here's Christ, God with skin on, telling us to do something. Go, th though fair, though, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Remember when I shortened it down there? It's like getting to his word, do what he says. Don't act a fool. <laughs> Do all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. This is the moment that Jesus ordains baptism as part of becoming a disciple. He's saying, if you are a follower fully surrendered to me, then do this. Multiple times after his victory over death and sin in Scripture, we see they, were, they believed and then they were baptized. They heard the call of the Lord on their life. They surrendered to him and then they were baptized. We see it in Acts chapter 10. 
A group of folks had been been present in the Holy Spirit. They were showing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says this, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they again asked him to remain for some days. They were overwhelmed by what Jesus had already transformed inside and the Holy Spirit had settled in. And Peter's like, here's the water. Why not? Who can keep these people from being baptized? Well, we can't. Because it's an outward witness of an inward transformation, a symbol of their surrender. Your kids heard, those who went through the class, they heard a a little part of a lesson that said, hey, when you wake up in the morning, you put on your jammies, you take off your jammies and you put on your day's clothes, your new clothes for that day. And then they read out of Galatians chapter three. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. That law, 613 rules, that was our guardian before in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come and we no longer under, we are no longer under a guardian. For Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, daughters of God, through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You've put on the new clothes, the new life of Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. You put on the new life. This baptism, this ordinance, this symbol is saying, I am putting on the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord. My name has changed. My character has changed. The thing that guides me and motivates me and convicts me has changed. This is what we see today in baptism. This is what 11 kids have committed to a youth in the first hour, two adults also in this hour. This is what they have said. I am no longer mine. I'm fully surrendered to the Lord. And by this moment, they are giving witness to that. I hope as you've heard testimonies, even from the younger ones, that you've heard something. And I hope, because I can't wait anymore, I'm getting jittery because there's a couple more and I want to get to them. I hope in these next few testimonies, you're going to hear something that strikes at your heart. What you have witnessed today, I hope as you're sitting there, if you had seen the first hour, you would have seen it too. If there's anything holding you back right now, give it up. Give it up. Give it up to him. You saw kid after kid. You saw two adults It's not easy coming up here. If you have a fear or something, lay it at the foot of the cross. If you haven't done this yet, but you have surrendered your life to the Lord, what's holding you back? Come talk to us. We'd love to have that conversation. This new life, this new set of clothes, like your kids heard in their lesson, It takes care of everything. There's no more fear. There's only victory. And this is one of those things that Jesus called us to do. Like I said, not a lot of hoops, but Jesus called us after that commitment of surrender to come to him in baptism.
So I'm going to encourage you in that. If you've thought about it and you want to ask questions, come talk to us. This is one of the things that he ordained. And because it's the first Sunday, you get two messages. One on baptism and the other ordinance that we see Jesus tell us to do is that of communion. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. If you come from a more liturgical church, it may be called the Eucharist. Unlike baptism, which was already kind of in the works and Jesus redeemed that into something holy, this is all Jesus. Communion is his invention, his thing. And he calls us to be a part of it. You see, Jesus took it as a symbol. It's a symbol to share the gospel. It's in a simple way of showing life anew. He didn't, however, take something that was unknown or, or known, excuse me, like baptism was. He took something as common and made it awesome and made it a powerful teaching symbol. Remember, he is the great teacher too. So here, class time, I do want interaction here. So don't just sit there and stare at me. But here's a question to you. What are the basic needs that allow each of us to continue to have life? What are the, just yell them out. Basic needs that we need to live. Food, air, water, shelter. That's a good one. You might be able to get away with that in the right state. <laughs> Not in Ohio. Rest. I heard rest. Think about this. The basics to life. You know, that, that idea of if I have enough, if I have air in my lungs, water, and food, even those other things, if you don't have that, they don't matter. It doesn't matter if you have shelter, if you have no air, no food, no water. This is Jesus being Jesus' teacher again. Jesus takes something common and gives it an extraordinary power. Look at Matthew chapter 26. It'll be on the screen. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessing it, and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, mind you, the Jews had this time. We just saw it in Easter. It's called Passover. They had this Passover meal, and this is where Jesus is partaking this moment with his disciples. The Passover meal was not uncommon to Jews. It was very holy. It was a celebration of their freedom, their salvation out of slavery in Egypt by the giving of a lamb's blood over their doorposts so that death would pass over them. It was not lost on the Jews around that table that Jesus was now saying he was that lamb. They might have gasped a little. The Passover meal wasn't uncommon to them, common to them. But for us, food and drink is pretty common. And Jesus now takes this symbol and attaches it basically to life itself. He says his body is broken. That's the bread. His blood is shed. 
That's the drink. This to bring forgiveness. And not only to save them that night during that meal, but for us and into eternity. This moment is so important, it's shared in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It was practiced in the early church following that. Look here in 1 Corinthians. Paul writes it this way. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, the, these, these people at the Corinthian church were doing the Lord's Supper regularly. Now, now, we as a church have chosen to do the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. You could equally as well do it just on the Passover remembrance once a year. In our house, oftentimes we talk about it because I think you could probably remember this at every meal. Again, it's life. But the Corinthians were getting it wrong. Now, you remember that part in that little statement I said, one of the things is don't act a fool. <laughs> one of the things that we probably should put in our little simple new law. Well, they were acting a fool. They were bringing the supper and having a party with it and no reverence. Not only were they partying with it, they were leaving people out. People who couldn't afford, they would bring all this exotic food and then they would alter the Lord's Supper into something that wasn't remembering and wasn't reverent. And here's where Paul says, don't act a fool. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have even died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, the body, when you come to eat, together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Party at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for your judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. He was saying, listen, this is important. This matters. You see, for the early church, the followers of Jesus, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper was an ongoing practice and it was reverent. They were following what Jesus modeled. He was giving them the drink and the bread, the life that we need, the water, the food. This is what we do when we take communion. If you are a follower of Jesus, we remember his sacrifice. Now, sometimes that could be somber. Sometimes that could be somber, but I, I would contend that today, it's a celebration. Today, we're going to do something with communion and remembrance and celebration because of what has happened here, what's happening here, and the change that Jesus brings to us. Because no matter whether you do it somber or in celebration, Either way, we receive life. Oh, and, and one other thing. 
Don't think that Jesus didn't think, take into consider the, consideration when he was teaching us that air wasn't important too. The Greek word for Holy Spirit is pneuma. Pneuma is the word we get air from. He knows what we need. Next time, guys, girls, anyone, when you're in your garage and you see pneumatic air tools, you know. He didn't forget the air. I would even contend he didn't forget the uh, shelter. Who are you to be worrying? I give birds. I give them nests. How about you, the followers of Christ? I give you a Sabbath to rest on. Greatest teacher teaching and modeling it. And he did it on the night that he was betrayed. And so today, we will do the same thing. We will follow that great teacher, remembering who he is, celebrating the witness that took place in here because the word tells us so. And we're going to do it by not acting a fool in reverence and in joy for our Savior. So now take that bread, that body broken for you as a symbol of sin conquered and victory over death. Take and eat. And also take the cup. His blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. This is the true baptism. The blood, red, washes us white as snow. Take and drink, celebrating the life that he gives you. Father God, we give you thanks. We exalt you today as the power that brought transformation to the folks who are in baptism. We celebrate your sacrifice, giving up your throne to be here, only to be crucified for our sins, but yet you brought victory and you conquered death. You conquered sin. And you allow us a path to your kingdom, to be in your presence, to be in holy communion for eternity, giving you worship. Allow us today to remember that as we move forward into our week, into our families, into our jobs, school, with our peers. Maybe every time we sit and eat and drink, we remember that you bring us what we need for life. The food, the water, air through the Holy Spirit. We praise you, dear Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.